This is Channel 253. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. I'm Jenny. I'm Doug. And we are the Citizen Tacoma podcast, empowering an informed electorate. I thought we were informing an empowered electorate. In in the the city city of destiny. Citizen Tacoma. Hi, Doc. Greetings, Jenny. On today's episode, we had Christine Kilduff in the studio. We did. She has been serving the 28th Legislative District as a House Democrat for the last four years and hopes to continue. Done it well, from what I can tell. She's pretty great. Listen in. Welcome to Citizen Tacoma, Christine. Thank you so much, Jenny. Good to be with you. We're so happy to have you here. So we start all of these interviews with uh, just telling us your Tacoma story. How long have you lived in Tacoma? Where do you live now? All that kind of thing. You bet. Well, actually, 20 years ago this week, I returned to Washington State, uh, driving in from Minnesota and uh, landed in University Place just outside of Tacoma. Uh, Came back here uh, to return to work for the Attorney General's Office of our state and been an assistant attorney general now total uh, 18 years. Um, uh, although once I began in the legislature, uh, did did stop working in that capacity, but came back here uh, to the great Northwest and it's been wonderful to be back ever since and raised our two daughters uh, in the University Place schools and uh, there's no place like the outdoors uh, that we have here for yeah. sure. So you're from here and you left and came back? Actually, I'm originally <laughs> from the East Coast, oh. uh, so grew up uh, in the Bronx first, mm. and then uh, on the outskirts of New York City in a town called Hicksville, that's on Long <laughs> Island, um, and spent some time then in college, in law school in Boston, and then just kept going west, and mm. then had a couple-year break in the mid-90s, and then now this 20-year uh, period here in uh, the South Sound in University Place. 20 years is legit. We'll, we'll, we'll call you a, a resident. <laughs> <laughs> so can you tell us a bit about the 28th Legislative District, its geographical boundaries, and who lives there? Absolutely. Uh, so it is both a politically and geographically diverse district. So the district starts in the north on the slopes of West Tacoma, mm-hmm. uh, right near the Tacoma Narrows Bridge. And uh, at the southern end, uh, we have Joint Base Lewis-McChord, uh, home to an incredibly important piece of our national security, uh, and DuPont. And then there's a number of cities in between, uh, Furcrest, University Place, Stillicum, uh, half of Lakewood, and Anderson. Uh, and Ketron Islands, and even pieces of Spanaway, uh, Elk Plain, and Graham. Wow. Yeah. That is a lot of different areas, and with uh, the base and the western state, you just have a lot of things in the 28th district. We do. And and on the political diversity, if I could just add to that, so we are known as a swing district. Mm -hmm. So we're 
more in the zone of purple than yeah. red or blue, and so which makes it all the more an honor to represent that area as I have for the last about three and three quarter years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's uh, no, if you will, clear leaning, um, yeah. and things can certainly, as the word suggests, swing a bit. But for the most part, uh, we're, we're you can count on us being purple. Mm. I was wondering how that works in the legislature when you have the two positions in your district and one on either side of the aisle. How do you work together to do what's best for your district? You know, it's really, I think, an opportunity to uh, uh, role model bipartisanship uh, Mm. and to, in the end, uh, deliver results for your district. And I think that's really what I hear from the people I speak with and I've knocked on close to, I think it's 34,000 doors since wow. 2014, so 14, 16, and 18. And people really want to see us working together and not taking a page out of the other Washington mm-hmm. uh, on the East Coast uh, because there, I think, people are witnessing um, you know, gridlock and dysfunction. And here in our Washington, I think we do a better job of that. We're not perfect, mm-hmm. but in our district in the 28th, um, I, the two... Um, Folks I currently serve with are Republican. I'm a Democrat, so it really is a chance to to work together to to get things done for the people who sent you there to represent them. Right. That said, should Mari win, uh, that would be a seat flipped, and then you'd both be Democrats representing the 28th. How would that change things, do you think? Uh, I think, again, mm-hmm. certainly it would be an opportunity to, to partner together, and I'm, I'm really excited about Mari Levitt. Um, she has an incredible background and will be an outstanding voice should the voters agree come November, which I'm sure hoping they will. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, she's a small business owner. She's been in higher education. She's worked at the county level. Uh, she and her husband have seven wonderful children together. Mm. So excited about Mari. Um, but certainly we would continue to that sort of vein of um, getting things done. She would be in my caucus, uh, the Democratic House caucus. So we mm-hmm. would spend probably more time together than I do with my current House seatmate. But we, we've also, again, worked together. So I think it's a it's a chance to focus uh, perhaps in a somewhat different way uh, on some of the issues, uh, given that she's a Democrat, um, mm-hmm. and then um, work together within the caucus and uh, certainly across the, the other to the other chamber, our, our Senate, mm-hmm. um, our senator as well. So, yeah. yeah. How long have you held this seat? Uh, so I was first elected in 2014 okay. in the red wave, um, <laughs> and actually we're the only um, swing district. Democrat, with the exception of a gentleman in Federal Way who actually passed away a few days before the election um, <clears throat> to win. Hmm. Um, so, uh, but been in that seat now three and three quarter years, so um, running for a third term. Hmm. So, we just recently, I, I say we, the Democrats just recently. Uh, got the majority in the Senate, which allowed some of your progressive policies in the House to move forward. How, how did that how did that change things for you? It was an enormous change yeah. uh, for the legislature and how it operates and ultimately for the people of this state. Uh, with that change in the 45th and the election of Senator Monka Dingra, we were able to bring bills uh, through both chambers and then to the governor's desk that were sort of gummed up in the works, if mm-hmm. you will, of the Senate. And in addition, we were able to conclude on time. Um, I represent a military district, right. the 28th. I think we generally like to start and end things on time. Last session, because yeah. of that special <laughs> election, mm-hmm. we finished in 60 days with over 300 bills signed into law. Among the 
them um, that, again, had not gotten through previously was the Equal Pay Act. And mm-hmm. we women uh, still earning uh, much less on the dollar, 79 cents on the dollar compared to our wonderful male counterparts. But still, there's that wage gap. So we passed that after four years, um, mm-hmm. the Voting Rights Act, that makes sure that every um Local voices heard um, and ensuring that local elections have more accountability and fairness also passed. Um, the Reproductive Parity Act uh, that ensures that women have an access to a full range of health care uh, also passed. So those are three bills that I think illustrate uh, the impact of just one special election uh, because the control of the chamber, uh, in that case the Senate, uh, mm-hmm. it determines what bills are heard, what bills are voted on off the floor, and how far they get and whether they get uh, to the governor's desk. So it yeah. was really it really did change things quite a bit Um and I think for the better. Yeah. What an example of your vo- vote counting. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so another thing that you guys accomplished was uh, the net neutrality protections. Yes. Could you explain those a little bit? Yeah. So Representative Drew Hansen uh, in my caucus is the author of that bill. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was the first uh, law in our nation to ensure that we have a free uh, and open internet and don't have things, for example, like these slow slow lanes uh, and adding costs to the consumer to, to get out and be on the internet. As, as we know, uh, you know, at the federal level, um, the net neutrality protections are are done. They're mm-hmm. no longer around. And uh, Representative Hansen's bill uh, passed out and became the first law in, in the entire nation to address that. California has since enacted legislation. And I guess the, our, our, uh, the federal government is taking action against California. Mm-hmm. Uh, Montana had an executive order that predated uh, the Washington state law, but I submit to you that a, a vote of the legislature is, is really, um, and, and signed off by the governor, is more potent than mm-hmm. an executive order. Uh, so that, too, is another example, I think, of legislation where um, local elections matter because at the state level, uh, when we passed net neutrality, uh, we were serving as a backstop to yeah. the federal government. And if they're going to take protections away, uh, the state government can, as appropriate, not always, if there's federal preemption. Um, We can't necessarily step in, but um, we can at times serve as a backstop to what the federal government is doing Hmm. or not doing in this case. Uh, Another uh, accomplishment of the last legislative session was education funding. Um, Can you talk a bit about uh, the increases there? And specifically, I know that McCleary uh, solved some of the problems, but in uh, Tacoma Public Schools specifically, uh, we find ourselves facing another budget crisis very soon. What is a legislature going to do to help us to avoid that? Yeah, that's a a great question. And so I'm a former university place school board president. My one daughter just graduated Curtis High School. She just began college this Mm. uh, fall, and uh, we have a junior still um, who is at Curtis. So, uh, And myself, I'm a public school graduate, and um, education to me is so important. Uh, It is public education, I think, holds such transformative power. It can be a great equalizer and opportunity provider, which is why we need to keep it an incredibly robust uh, institution. 
election and really is critical, I think, to in protecting our democracy and making sure we have an informed citizenry with opportunities to economic opportunity to participate in the in the workforce once um, folks have completed that K-12 journey and, and thereafter choose their path. So uh, it's a very personal issue, mm. as you can probably hear yes, in my voice, yes. uh, for me. Um, so I was really delighted and excited to see us take some bold action last session. But but let's just put this on the table. Uh, in 2012, the Supreme Court issued the McCleary decision. We never should have abandoned our paramount constitutional duty to amply fund our K-12 system. So we finally kind of righted the ship. Uh, but this is an ongoing mm-hmm. uh, constitutional obligation that we have. This is not a one and done. Uh, as I move forward and, and hope to continue to serve here uh, in the 28th, I want to make sure we keep our eyes on uh, on the ball, if you will. We just, um, with this final investment in 2018 uh, around teacher uh, and staff compensation, um, you know, we, we just upended a, a 40-year formula for funding our schools. So we're going to have, as illustrated by the Tacoma School District strike, um, we're going to have some bumps in the road. But we have there are many levers uh, to that formula, um, and we're going to need to continue to to hone in and look at that. So uh, a couple of ideas around that is addressing something called levy equalization, which mm. offsets what we call um, sort of like property poor districts that don't right. have like the humongous big spot big box stores like in a Bellevue or a Seattle. We just don't have as much down here in the South mm-hmm. Sound, and that includes Tacoma somewhat. Um, and make sure that um, all that the levers of the formula are not injuring um, school districts. I'd like to see a little more transparency, too, around some of the uh, data uh, and around staffing, like admin to, to teachers, mm-hmm. um, to, to kind of have a better handle on that, or admin to students or admin to staff generally, um, to see and, and understand that a little bit better. I don't, I, we don't in the, in the fix bill. I, I don't yeah. think that was, was in there. Uh, but in the end, our teachers and our staff on the ground in our schools, they are doing an enormously uh, important uh, Thing. And they're, they're making sure that our kids are set up for success mm-hmm. in, a, in a highly competitive 21st century economy. We want to attract and retain high quality staff and teachers and give our kids the best shot at, at getting ahead as they move forward in the world. So it's an incredibly important issue. And I was one of um, a number of legislators that signed uh, a, a letter uh, uh, indicating that uh, Tacoma was in a, a special and unique uh, mm-hmm. tough spot um, and uh, looking forward to, to tackling that issue uh, in, in the near future. Yeah. I feel like McCleary comes up in every interview we end up having here, but um, I don't think I've ever fully understood the levy part of it. Like we, Tacoma used to fund things through levies, and then something about McCleary made it so that that's not that's not fair to other districts. Am I saying this properly? How does yeah. how does that work? <laughs> so the Supreme Court, in its McCleary decision, what they found was that uh, there was an unconstitutional over-reliance on levy dollars to fund basic education. And that was not a comment on the districts. That was a comment on the state. Yeah. Uh, what, what essentially that meant, uh, in, in my mind anyway, is that the state was not ponying up the dough to pay for basic education. And because the state was not, and there was a trial on this, and mm-hmm. evidence was taken, and decisions were made, and ultimately we have the Supreme Court opinion, but um, because the state was not uh, footing the bill on the basics, districts were 
turning to local landowners, property tax dollars, to fund those basics Mm -hmm. and that basic education piece. And that is defined in law and and still is. Uh, But when you're um, relying on landowners to pay for the basics as opposed to what we now call enhancements to basic education, Mm -hmm. um, that was where the problem was. Because when you have every year, every four years, a vote, you're subject uh, to a potential yes, no, uh, yeah. and and really the state should be meeting its basic obligation, and we were not. So uh, as a result, uh, uh, there is now limits under the new law. It's House Bill 2242 that we passed in in 2017 around how much um, can be levied uh, mm-hmm. to uh, or t- how much you can tax local landowners. Uh, and that is where some of the difficulty is coming in, I think, for Tacoma. Uh, yeah. they, uh, Tacoma citizens really, I think, uh, value their schools uh, uh, as well as and have spoken on the levy front, but also on the, the bonds front. And you yeah. know, that, by that, I mean uh, bonds that would allow uh, building to occur and, and new schools to be built here in Tacoma. So that that's where I think that 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 tension is, and those are that's you know one of the levers and one of the issues I think and challenges we're going to have to deal with because we certainly we want Tacoma uh, school students to be successful. Um, the district has made I think great gains, and we want to continue yeah. that and and support uh, students, staff, teachers, and the district as a whole uh, so kids can be successful. Hmm. Thanks for that. Uh, Pivoting a bit here, Western State is part of your yeah. district. Um, can you help our listeners to understand what the heck is going on there? <laughs> How did they lose their federal funding, and where is the money going to come from to keep the doors open? Yeah, to answer the latter part of your question first, yeah. I think the bad news on that front is the money is going to come from uh, state Tax, tax state dollars. In yeah. other words, the federal government uh, was uh, providing us a funding stream in part to, to um, you know support Western State Hospital, but those dollars are going away, mm-hmm. and that is a hit to our state budget. Uh, Western State Hospital is one of two uh, state hospitals, uh, Eastern State being the other, that are a, a critical piece of our mental um, health safety net in our state. The, the, there are two broad uh, groups of folks who are treated and cared for there. Um, And many of the people I represent work in the hospital. And I was just Mm -hmm. talking yesterday uh, to a Western State Hospital uh, employee when I was uh, door knocking. Uh, But um, the the first group is about 550 or so individuals who are involuntarily treated. They are literally folks who are just, they have very severe mental health challenges. They're a danger to themselves or potentially to others. And they're there uh, to, to hopefully get well. Mm-hmm. Um, the other group, um, what they call the forensic side, are folks who have interacted with the criminal justice system. They might have been uh, adjudicated in a court of law to be not guilty by reason of insanity, or they may have an issue around competence and need to be evaluated for competency, or they may have been determined to be uh, incompetent so they cannot stand trial. Mm. Um, and th- th- those folks are about 300 uh, or so individuals. On that's on, again on this what we call the forensic side. So uh, the workers uh, on the ground there are incredibly dedicated. Uh, it, there has been. Um, uh, you know, uh, we've seen a rash of assaults as of late, yeah. and, and but but I will tell you, um, what 
what we, uh, as a state, I think we've we've not done is supported that institution over time sufficiently. So now we have the feds coming in and uh, decertifying. But that, that's been sort of a, a bit of a long process in the making because we have not attended to the hospital historically in terms mm-hmm. of the right investments. Uh, but the people who are there are very vulnerable, uh, yeah. and the workers, uh, you know, all the staff the, the, who, you know, who are treating uh, both patient populations are very dedicated to their patients. As this woman told mm-hmm. me yesterday, she says the people who work at Western State really care about yeah. their patients. So, But we've got some work to do, clearly. We've made substantial investments in Western State, but we, we still have... Um, uh, a real challenge ahead of us, and there'll be some. Uh, there's clear bipartisan uh, agreement that we uh, need to turn the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's sort of on the open ocean to get uh, better results for uh, the, the the folks who are there being treated, um, and then also the the staff. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jenny Jacobs, host of the Citizen Tacoma podcast. As a 2001 alum, I'm excited to announce that Pacific Lutheran University has joined us as a sponsor of Channel 253. At PLU, I had amazing experiences, both in the classroom and out of it. Thanks to PLU, I studied abroad in Costa Rica and was involved in numerous theater productions, experiences that shaped who I am today. Part of PLU's mission is to educate for lives of service, and I am proud to have received an education that was focused on how I could give back to my community. Something new PLU has offered to make it easier for students to give back is the PLU Pledge. Here's the pledge PLU makes to new undergraduate students. If, after you graduate, you have a full-time job but it makes less than $40,000 per year, PLU will help you make your loan payments. So if you want to fight to make the world a better place but your paycheck just isn't where it needs to be yet, PLU will step in and help. This is huge and an amazing way that PLU shows their dedication to service. If you're starting the college search for yourself or a high school student, learn more at plu.edu slash plu pledge, because student debt shouldn't stand in the way of changing the world. And we're back. Uh, you've advocated for cutting taxes that support ST3. Our listeners are fierce proponents of ST3. Can you please make the case for your opposition? Yes, you bet. So the people I represent in the 28th, and I'm a state representative, right. um, they did not support ST3 right. at the ballot box. Um, and they are also... Um, when you take, for example, DuPont or Spanaway or even Lakewood, they're somewhat removed from mm. uh, the uh, benefit uh, that is, yeah. uh, I think, uh, likely to land here in the Tacoma area first, according mm-hmm. to the plan 2030, right? 2030. So, uh. so and, I, and I think I think part of the um, concern around this is, is really rooted in a sense of um, – a lack of fairness. So right. right now, our state, we do have the most regressive tax system in the country. It's it's undisputed. You can Google 50th yeah. most regressive tax system. So when you lay... One sec. Yes. Can you explain what regressive tax means? Yeah. So it means proport- regressivity um, hits those of lower income harder. So uh, in our state, if you're middle class or 
working class and striving to get into the middle class, your corresponding <clears throat> tax burden for middle class folk is about 11 or 12 percent. Uh, if you're 25 grand, 20 grand and under, where you're really trying to scrape by, uh, that tax burden is more like 16 or 17 percent. But if you're blessed, and God bless you if you are making half a <laughs> mil or over yeah. every year, that's about a 2 to 3 percent uh, tax burden. So, so in my district, we are a very tax-sensitive district. Uh, there's a lot of working families. I have a lot of retirees, uh, folks concerned about rising property taxes. So when the ST3 proposition uh, uh, came up, folks did not see, and I understand why, the nexus between uh, a, a tax burden and any sort of benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, we Americans, I think generally when we see a connection between, yes, you're asked to, to, to pay that for this mm-hmm. via a tax – um, and here's what you get. Yeah. Um, then uh, we we generally we might not like it, but we can at least agree that it's fair, or we might even support yeah. it. In my district, this was viewed as an add-on um, yeah. without a corresponding um, benefit, mm-hmm. and too remote in time and distance, whether 2030, come up to Tacoma. So as a result, uh, you know, I could not support that and, and in advance and, and certainly thereafter. And I have to tell you, I hear a lot about it from the yeah. people I represent. They view it as fundamentally unfair. I think that if it was, a, for example, if it was a stage sort of tax, um, like if it was, uh, if we had a, a tax in King County first, mm-hmm. and then here, Pierce, when you get your stuff, that's when it yeah. kicks in. Um, it, it, it's not really set up like that, though. Yeah. So that would have, I think there'd be many changes that would need to happen. But again, without that, um, uh, you know, benefit uh, and burden connection, yeah. um, uh, people in my district could not support it. So mm-hmm. if SD3 is the attempt to get cars off the road, is that essentially what it's trying to do? I think in part, yes. It's it's trying to get cars off the road, and I personally love public transportation and ride it whenever I can and grew up on it. Okay, so if the people who are not supposedly benefiting are going to have clearer roads for them to drive on because there's SD3, doesn't it benefit them? I think you can make that argument, right? It just needs to be a more palpable benefit. Um, and if you're a senior driving to the grocery store and not driving to Seattle every day or commuting, mm-hmm. um, you're probably less apt to see the any sort of clear uh, benefit. Uh, if you're a, a 35-year-old commuter from Lakewood to Seattle, you'd probably see that. A little bit clearer. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, there are there are elderly people in metropolitan areas who theoretically are only going to the grocery stores as well. Yeah. Yes, and I will tell you, many people have told me that uh, it's a benefit that I'll never see. Uh, some people will say, sort of, uh, I, I, you know, I support it because I know my grandkids are going to be able to right. yeah. uh, drive on less congested roads or avail themselves of public transportation for their job in in the Seattle area or Redmond area, you know, um, mm-hmm. later on. But but the the majority of folks I hear from are really concerned about the immediate cost without any corresponding or visible or palpable benefit in the now. Mm-hmm. But that could that could that could be a concern about anything that is planned for 30 years, 20 years in the future. I would agree. Including climate change and that sort of thing. Yes. <laughs> All right. Yes. Okay. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> yes, getting people to be concerned about 
uh, issues that may not directly affect them is sort of a crux of politics, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, uh, kind of backing up, one of the other... Uh, accomplishments of the previous legislative session was increased voter access legislation. Can you talk a bit about that as well? Yeah. So uh, I am really excited about our our voter um, uh, set of bills, if you will. And perhaps the most exciting to me is our 16 and 17-year-old pre-registration, which I believe, I think it takes effect in 2020. uh, But Clearly, if we want to make sure that our youth are engaged, I mean, Mm -hmm. what better way to tee them up for a lifelong uh, opportunity and responsibility to make sure their voice is heard? Um, And when we have uh, our youth participating in our democracy, uh, I think that it's certainly – uh, it makes us uh, focus more on the future, uh, mm-hmm. and oftentimes when I oftentimes when I speak, well, whether my own daughters or people in the district, young people, I, I, my pitch is this: Listen, uh, the decisions we make today are going to affect many more tomorrows mm-hmm. uh, for you than for me and many of the people that I work with uh, in Olympia. That's why we need you at the table uh, mm-hmm. as early as possible, uh, yeah. because if you're participating, uh, it's going to make our state a better, stronger state. And we're also going to have a clearer vision of where we need to be. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, many people, even adults uh, who are registered voters, they, they they say and share, well, my vote doesn't matter. Um, but it, it really <laughs> does. And it matters in every uh, election, uh, the, the local level, the state level, the federal level. Um, and and so I think that uh, uh, our our voter um, package, if you will, from last session, I think uh, hopefully that's sending a strong message to our state uh, that you know every vote matters mm-hmm. uh, and we need everybody participating in our democracy, uh, but especially our youth. I'm just I'm really excited about um, that that um, change that we made and also the Voting Rights Act. Mm-hmm. Which stems from um, uh, well, originally we had a there was a, a case over in Yakima, and uh, we had uh, local elections that uh, really did not the, the 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 results thereof did not reflect the community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, with the passage of the Voting Rights Act, we have a much uh, I think fairer system going forward, and we can ensure that all voices are heard from all um, all walks of life in all all different neighborhoods. So that'll mm-hmm. be a good addition, I think, as well to uh, our repertoire of uh, voting access laws. We also had a voting security or election security law. Mm-hmm. And with what's going on uh, internationally uh, and what we saw in the 2016 election, uh, anything that shores up our voting process and protects mm-hmm. it from any cyber intrusion, I think, is uh is incredibly helpful. We want to keep, we have to protect all the more today. It seems that we're going to do, play more defense to keep our our democracy um, mm. healthy and protected from outside intrusions like some international force that might want to monkey around with our uh, elections. Right. We have had Julie Anderson on the podcast a couple of times, and so she has, uh, <laughs> she did a good job of explaining these uh, new 
new accomplishments in depth. Um, but one of the things that she mentioned was that we don't necessarily have a registration problem in our state. We have an attendance problem that we have something like 83% people registered already, but then the voting turnout in the county last year was something like 30%. Do you have any ideas about how we could increase actual election participation? Yeah, I mean, with the motor voter law, we have a lot of folks who are registered. Um, that said, I'm still excited about getting young people on track earlier on to yeah. register. Uh, but yes, we do, uh, I would say, um, suffer from a low uh, sort of turnout. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that, um, like a gentleman I spoke with in Lakewood this week, he said, I he just said, again, I don't think it, I don't participate. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And I said, we really need to hear from you, you know. Yeah. So um, I think there are some forces that really want to continue the powerful narrative of um, uh, don't trust government. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, you know, there's all these forces out there. So whatever you say doesn't matter. There really is some, I think, strong messaging around that. And it's sort of it really is aimed at voter suppression. And by right. that, I mean uh, suppression of attendance, mm -hmm. uh, not suppression of registration, but suppression of attendance. So if you tell people to lose heart, some people will lose heart and yeah. really believe and buy into the narrative that even though my ballot shows up to my door and this year, you know, you postage is prepaid, <laughs> right? You don't even need a stamp. That ballot's going to sit or maybe just get quickly recycled. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've made it pretty accessible, I think, with our process. Also, you're able to sit down at the kitchen table and look at the voters pamphlet and read uh, about the candidates and the issues as opposed to standing in a, in a booth like you did yeah. in the state where I grew up. My dad, uh, he's going to, he, you know, he was sharing um, how sometimes it's hard to make all those decisions quickly when there's lots of stuff on the ballot. Yeah. We have luxury of time. Mm -hmm. Ballots will be here uh, a couple weeks uh, before the election or more mm -hmm. than that, actually. And so you can sit down. And so there, we sort of optimize the opportunity to attend. Yeah. Uh, so... I think it's incumbent upon uh, us uh, as community members, as elected officials, to really remind people that the stakes are high because things like your rights depend upon it, our, our economy depends upon it, and um, generally uh, not buy into this mantra of, you know, the it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. uh, the it doesn't matter movement, I think it's it's um, – it is a misconception. It's a mislabeling, labeling, and I think it's really aimed at suppressing attendance. And um, so any chance I get to promote that it's really important, it really yeah. matters, I personally do, and, and I, I hope other community members do as well. Yeah. Well, like you say earlier, the example of Manka Dingra, I mean, those votes really, really mattered in a huge way for the entire state. Yes. And it's not always going to be your particular district that is the one making the call, but that's right. just a real big example of how just a small group of people affected change in the whole state. Mm -hmm. What can we be focusing on moving forward to help alleviate the housing crisis and the amount of people we have experiencing homelessness in our area? Yeah, and in our area, we have a dearth of affordable housing. Here mm -hmm. in Pierce County, according to a recent uh, survey or study, you know, one in 10 people who needed affordable housing in Pierce County were able to actually find it. So that means 90% of the folks 
who need affordable housing can't get it. Mm. Um, and it's in my district. Uh, again, just yesterday I talked to a lady in Lakewood and she was sharing how they're crammed in. She and her three children uh, and uh, are crammed into their home. She's a single mom and was homesick with two of the kids. This was a Friday I was talking yeah. to her. Uh, and she said, we need more space, but I can't afford to move. Yeah. Um, so... I believe that we need a sort of all-hands-on-deck approach to this. So that means the state, <clears throat> county, and local governments um, partnering together <clears throat> because uh, in the meantime, we've got – if we don't do that, we're going to continue to see homelessness increase. And we, we know from our uh, state uh, data on homeless kids, we're now, even though we've sort of turned the corner on the recession, our homelessness rate uh, is now over 40,000-plus kids out of 1.1 million in our public schools. And that uh, – we've seen an increase in – 10,000 kids, so from the 30s up to over 40,000, just in the last uh, few years. Also, um, deep poverty is deepening uh, here in our state as well. So, uh, and one in four kids in Pierce County is hungry today. So, and there's there's a nexus between that because we know that when people have access to a home uh, and they have um, the ability to 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 eat better. Kids can get their homework done. If, for example, you suffer from a mental health problem, you're you're more apt to, to follow that a medication regimen that will keep you from decompensating mm-hmm. and ending up in an emergency room or on a street somewhere or interacting with law enforcement. So at the state level, you know, we um, uh, need to continue to make investments in the housing trust fund, which that is a statewide solution. So there, some of that would inure to Pierce County, that benefit. Uh, but that is a lever that we have. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, for example, in the 1516 uh, housing trust fund investment that we made, we were able to bring online 2,700 units uh, statewide. Uh, so we need to increase capacity, and that's one lever we can use at the state level. Uh, we did extend the document recording fee that drives more money to um, uh, uh, address uh, homelessness. And then uh, the housing uh, and essential needs program. Uh, just last session, we did make an additional investment there. I understand actually those dollars are pretty much already used. And here we are, you know, mid, uh, well, I guess we're in the fall of 2018. So we've got um, that investment we can continue because that helps folks who are really super vulnerable. Uh, you know, they might have just lost a job and now they're on the street. They can't pay rent uh, and they need some sort of assistance in order to, 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 to make ends meet. So uh, those are some of the state, um, uh, you know, sort of uh, investments that we have and can continue to make. Uh, but clearly uh, I, I, the, 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 the uptick in my mind, and I walked through my district for the last, uh, you know, in 14, 16, and 18, and I can I see f- visibly more people uh, living out of a, a car or hearing from people, my rent is doubling, I don't know what I'm going to do. I would say affordability, uh, particularly on the housing front, is quite acute, and um, a coordinated approach with our local partners at the state level uh, and continuing to, to battle this is is something we need to do. Also, I'll just add one other piece. Um, we just passed last session um, 
uh, a source of income discrimination bill. And, you know, coming to the state, I was one of the first folks I represented then as a law student when I was at Boston College uh, was a mom who had two kids. And in Massachusetts, uh, you couldn't uh, say we don't take Section 8 well. Um, we've now since changed that right. just last session, uh, and uh, the source of your income doesn't matter. It's you know, can you mm-hmm. pay the the rent bill? So that's just one improvement on the sort of uh, landlord tenant side that we made um, yeah. to make sure that you're not discriminated against because you're a, a, a Section Eight recipient or uh, a VASH vouchers veterans who get mm-hmm. vouchers for housing. Uh, you know that you're not discriminated against on that basis as well. So there's some mm-hmm. other policy opportunities I think we'll be discussing um, or will be discussed in Olympia next session as well. Hmm. I just thought of kind of a random tax question that I've had for a while, and you seem to be like someone who could answer it. I feel like I've read articles about all of the great advancements that Colorado has made with its weed tax income, and I've always wondered what the heck is happening with, I mean, if I would just drive down 6th Avenue, I'm going to see five weed stores. What is happening with that revenue? And is there any way we can make it help some of these other problems that we are, seem to be facing? Well, it's definitely, you know, flowing in. Um, I, the the precise dollar amount I don't have off yeah. the top of my head, but it's, it's certainly being put to use to fund services uh, for the people in our state. And uh, it, it is substantial, but I, yeah. I, I don't have the number at yeah. the ready. Um, but, you know, we uh, definitely are, are using it to, to invest in the state. And I think that's, uh, we, we want to put our, certainly any tax dollars that flow in, we want to put to good use and yeah. be strategic and make sure that uh, we're certainly accountable to the taxpayers with uh-huh. how we spend money, uh, but uh, it's not, as I recall, it's not sort of tagged to go to any particular. Mm. There was some discussion about um, linking it to school funding, yeah. but that that is not, as I understand it, currently happening. So. It would seem to be a huge influx in state funds over the last few years, but perhaps that's inaccurate. <laughs> I, th- I think there's it's a, it's a definitely sizable amount. Um, you know, uh, I, I want to say it's $1.5 billion, but I, I, yeah. I don't want to speak out of terms, so I would mm. want to check that number. Um, mm. So it's, uh, it's definitely being used and uh, dedicated to, to state, state programs. Okay. Can you please tell us what are the best parts of the 28th District? What are your favorite parks, restaurants? I know you've got the Trader Joe's. <laughs> yes, that's right. We do have Trader Joe's. Uh, we also and Chambers Bay. Those Chambers are my two Bay. favorite parts of the 28th. <laughs> yeah, and I'm an avid walker, so I definitely uh, and I live not too far from uh, you know uh, Chambers Bay there in University Place. Uh, Fort Silicon Park oh, in yes, Lakewood yes. is best dog park in the area. It really is, <laughs> and we just in the last session uh, we're transferring ownership from the state to the city of Lakewood, so okay. that is a gem. Um, uh, also, if you're in uh, Fort Silicon Park, another investment the state made uh, was around Lake Wahup and the new trail there. So uh, any other walkers out there, that's a great place to, to walk in addition and with or without your dog. Yeah. Um, 
you know, just walking in downtown Stilicum mm-hmm. uh, on um, Lafayette, um, yeah. and it's, it's just beautiful. It's, you know, it's a historic town. Um, and then if uh, to keep up with the walking theme down mm-hmm. in DuPont, the way that DuPont was built yeah. uh, up, they have a huge uh, uh, number of walking trails, biking trails. So uh, when I doorbell down there, I see citizens, uh, you know, taking uh, quite a good advantage of, mm-hmm. of the trails that are there. Um, another great trail uh, between, uh, really kind of sandwiched between University Place and Lakewood, and I was just doorbelling this Lakewood neighborhood the other day. Um, so if, it just off of, there's Onyx and a few other streets, but um, you can walk, uh, park your car as you come through the Chambers Creek Cut where you see the little dam there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a trail, it's probably about a mile and a half maybe a mile and three quarters and it's uh, all wooded nice. uh, and then actually it, 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 if you, as you go it, you're, so you're ascending from that parking point and then you get up into this neighborhood I referenced earlier so nice. there's some good trails in there and so I enjoy hiking so I'm focused yeah, on the yeah. on the walking um but yeah, we've got some uh, you know uh, great outdoor opportunities uh, and uh, uh, restaurants as well, uh, you know, in the area. We've got um, and I spend a lot of time in coffee shops. We've got a lot yeah. of great coffee shops too. So. What's your favorite coffee shop? Oh wow! So I uh, we've got uh, you know there's uh, uh, oh my goodness I'm thinking of um, uh, Cutters Point. We've yeah, got yeah. that in in University Place. Uh, occasionally, you know, you'll see me uh, at a Starbucks too, <laughs> um, and then um, uh, there's a there's a well, I'm thinking of the other Starbucks down in Dupont. So there's yeah. lots of options, and you know, but but the walking trails and the and the paths are are we've got it's quite a quite a few gems there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, bring us on home. Why should people vote for you? Well, uh, great question. So I'm I'm running for my uh, third term uh, in the House, uh, having served now almost four years. Uh, I'm an advocate for education uh, and believe firmly that it really is an incredible opportunity uh, for our kids. And we need to keep our public schools robust. And uh, as a former school board member in University Place and, and true believer in what public education can do, I will continue to fight for our kids and for the opportunity that they deserve. Um, I'm also someone who... Um, believes that we need to be uh, keeping an eye out for our veterans and military families. And uh, in our district, in the 28th Legislative District, we have uh, thousands of retirees and active duty service members. Uh, our active duty service members stand ready to sacrifice all. And I've been an advocate for our military families there, um, have had legislation signed into law that connects military families uh, with legal services through the attorney general's office, um, provides another bill that uh, protects active duty service members when uh, they need to break a consumer contract, uh, say with a gym uh, gym yeah, company. Yeah. So they shouldn't be nickeled and dimed uh, in that regard. And then for veterans, um, legislation has passed that uh, I wrote that uh, provides sales tax relief when they need to retrofit a vehicle and they're a disabled veteran, mm-hmm. um, it allows them to get out and about in the community. So I've really focused on uh, that piece of our district and, and hope to continue to be able to do so. 
Um, in addition, uh, I've really tried to be and work with my colleagues to be uh, a good steward of our of our tax dollars. As I mentioned previously, you know we're a, we're a tax sensitive district, and um, making sure that um, our government, uh, for example, is not um, uh, just generally on the accountability front, not a, not a tax issue, but uh, on the, the the Public Records Act vote that we had, for example, I was one of the few no votes on that because I don't think the legislature should be treated any differently than other uh, state entities, and our uh, we should have transparency uh, and accountability to the people. So um, I think I've stood up for our kids, our uh, working and military uh, families in the district, and for principles like accountability. And and I hope to earn um, the opportunity to continue to serve the 28th Legislative District in this 2018 election. Thanks for coming on the show. Great. Thank you so much, Jenny. Thanks so much for listening to Citizen Tacoma Podcast today. We are part of the Channel 253 Network, where you can also find the Move to Tacoma Podcast, as well as the Nerd Farmer Podcast. And the Flounders B-Team, Crossing Division, and Taco Man Podcasts. If you'd like to reach out to us about anything you've heard on the show today, or if you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic, maybe there's something you've been wondering about that maybe we can investigate for you, please contact me at jennyjacobs253 at gmail.com, or hit us up on Twitter at Citizen Tacoma. Citizen Tacoma podcast is sponsored by Alaska Airlines. I'm Jenny Jacobs and I fly Alaska. To book your next flight, go to alaskaair.com. And please consider either an annual or monthly membership. This is Channel 253.